welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. And then you have to look for the next job. And it was a little rough, and, but, and we, I, we kind of sat down, uh, my wife and I, and said, well, you know, if, if March is not going to, if we don't have anything coming in by March, then we're, we're, we're going to have to do something like move back to Hawaii or something pretty drastic. But you know, God is good, amen? He had, he's placed jobs in front of you. All of a sudden, I was starting to get calls. Um, I had jobs, and then this job, this opportunity came, uh, came up, and uh, so I've been working, them for, working there for about two months. It's an Internet security company where I handle uh, the lab equipment, IT responsibilities, and it's wonderful. I praise God every day. As an older IT guy, uh, the challenge was is there's all these new technologies. Uh, there's Linux, there's uh, Ubuntu, there's uh, Red Hat, there's all these amazing new technologies um, that have been introduced, and I had to learn them on the fly. And every single day, I'm, uh, I would pray, Lord, give me the wisdom to understand and execute what I need to do for the, this company. And I praise, I, I give him all the credit for me still being there, because at the, during the first week, I didn't think I was going to make it. <laughs> but God is good. Praise God. Thanks to my son, Josh. I was going to actually have him help me prepare, but it's sort of like this. It's sort of, if you're doing something, if you're, if you're cooking or you're, um, you have a certain way to fix your car, uh, and then somebody else comes and say, oh, no, you can do it this way, or, um, you know, your golf swing has to be this way, or, uh, you know, when you cook that, put a little extra salt, or, sorry, not salt, but, uh, you know what I'm saying. So, when somebody, it's almost like too many cooks in the kitchen, and so I wanted to make sure I prepared my sermon, and, but uh, Josh was a great speaker, and uh, we also had some great speakers in the last couple of Sabbaths. Praise God. Amen. And it's wonderful to be in our house, well, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, and Josh and Debbie, and that's not to say that we have our problems. We have our problems just like everyone else, but we always resolve it because God is in the center of our life. Also, I, I wanted, because I uh, don't get an opportunity to come up here very often, I wanted to thank some um, Doug Abbott and the Abbots for when we first came to church here, um, Doug Abbott's leadership and the, the church board. Thank you so much for that. I, I know that... Uh, uh, you didn't get recognized enough, and I just thank you so much. The, church, the school is a wonderful, Bayside School is who, what I'm talking about, uh, where Mrs. Joplin, hi, Mrs. Joplin, uh, is the principal over there, and it's a wonderful school. If you have children, please, please send them to that school. I've been working there for two years, and it's a wonderful blessing to give back because not only do I give back, but I get a millionfold, and I really do mean that, a millionfold blessing by sitting in front and teaching kids. Because their minds are so wide open, and they come up with some very interesting questions sometimes. <laughs> so um, if you get an opportunity, um, take a look at Bayside School for your young, young kids, and um, 
uh, you'll be blessed, I'm sure. Gary, I thank you for your presentation. Um, it's a wonderful ministry. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going on. And as an IT guy, a television guy, um, maybe you can, uh, maybe I can join you at some time, at some point. Praise God for that. When we started Vespers program three years ago, there was uh, one family that was here all the time, and there's con- and even up to this day, they come. Even when it was only me and their family. Uh, at Vespers, it, would, uh, it was the Camba family, and I, I want to thank them. They're wonderful family, very supportive of all the mysteries, and also um, uh, the uh, Rodriguez family, uh, George, Anthony, and Matthew. And Matthew's on camera today. Praise God for that. Uh, they've been very supportive for the youth programs, uh, Pathfinders, and also for um, a lot of the programs. Uh, so we, ha- I, I need to, I need to. Um, Give them commendations today. And I see all my friends out here. I see the Lubies. Thank you, Mark, for your president, Laura. And your singing is beautiful. Uh, I sat back there this morning. Praise the Lord. That's right. <laughs> and all everybody else. I see the Lopez family. And I'm, I see Margaret Silva back there. Hi, Margaret. Let's pray for June Blackie. Uh, we really want her to, um, uh, to be well. Amen. Well, Scripture. Um, I'm going to be speaking about Give Me the Mountain. Um, you'll find it. Now, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to um, chapters 13 and 14 in Numbers. And you can hold it there um, because we're just going to go through the story of the 12 spies. So Numbers chapters 13 and 14. A little boy was afraid of the dark. One night, his mother told him to go out to the back porch and bring her the broom. The little boy turned to his mother and said, Mama, I don't want to go out there. It's dark. The mother smiled reassuringly at her son. You don't have to be afraid of the dark, she explained. Jesus is out there. He'll look after you and protect you. The little boy looked at his mother real hard and asked, Are you sure he's out there? Yes, I'm sure. He's everywhere, and he's always ready to help you when you need him. The little boy thought about that for a minute, and then he went to the back door and cracked it just a little bit. Peering out into the darkness, he called, Jesus, Jesus, if you're out there, would you please hand me the broom? It wasn't dark that that terrified the spies who entered the promised land. It was the giants, the giants in walled cities. We all know that 12 spies were sent to Canaan to spy out the land. Can you name the 12? It's actually in chapter 13. I'm not going to name them all. Uh, But there are two names that stand out, Caleb and Joshua. Eventually, God raises those two to become real giants in the land. And God was bigger than their faith. Someone has said, it's not the size of your faith that makes the difference, but the size of God that we put our faith in. Amen. Amen. One more time for those who are writing it down. I hope you have a pen and pencil. We're going to have a couple of lessons today. Someone, it's not the size of your faith that makes the difference, but the size of God we put our faith in. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, mustard seed, you can move mountains. And as we look at the story of Caleb today, we will see him asking in faith, give me the mountain. In your life of faith, you too face giants. Walled fortresses, fortresses discouragement, As we look at the life of Caleb, we discover what mustard seed faith does in such circumstances. 
And it is my hope that you might respond like Caleb and say, give me the mountain. We first read of Caleb in, the numbers, in numbers chapters 13 and 14. And we re- read that the people of Israel were encamped at Kadesh Barnea in an oasis in the Geb Desert south of the promised land. It has been only a year or so since they have come out of Egypt. The people have seen miracles, haven't they? They saw the Red Sea open for them. They saw water from a rock, daily manna and quail, a pillar of smoke by day and a fire by night. They fought the Amalekite raiders and won. Moses has received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and destroyed the golden calf. They've built the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. Could you imagine the miracles that these Israelites saw and how wonderful and amazing it was? And having their filth built through these events and many more in their journey, the time was now, the time had now arrived for them to enter the promised land. And Caleb is one of those chosen to enter ahead of the two million Israelites. Like the Israelites on a journey, we are not at the end of our destination. Amen? God has not brought us here to where we are without reason. As with Israelites, we're to lay claim to the promised land. God has laid it in our heart to go and claim the land around us. Uh, For example, like the community, um, even with inside our Sabbath schools. Um, We've seen the faithfulness of God. His faithfulness has proved sufficient beyond measure. The test of our faith is to enter the land we have claimed for God. Amen. Today, as we look at the life of Caleb, we'll look at three tests of faith. Number one, faith focuses on possibilities, the potential, and not the problem. Number two, faith relies on God's abilities, not our own abilities. And number three, faith is not content with the minimum the path of least resistance, but asks for the mountain. In test one, faith focuses on possibilities, on potential and not problems. We read in Numbers 13, 2, The Lord gave Moses this directive, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. For each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders. Caleb was one of its leaders, the recognized leader of the tribe of Judah the largest of the 12 tribes. He is about 40 years old, and one Bible scholar suggests his name means all heart. And he sets out on the mission with the other 11 leaders, one from each tribe. They are on a mission to explore Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. A Jewish rabbi once said, the Hebrew language has two words for spying. One, latour, means to seek good, and has the same root as the modern Hebrew word, for tourists, tayar. Tourists look for good things to enjoy wherever they go. Singaporeans love to be tourists. But the other word for spy, laragal, means to look for weaknesses. Later in Joshua 2, the second Hebrew word for spy comes out. Seeking out weaknesses is used. When Joshua prepares to invade Canaan after Moses' death, the two spies are sent out who spy with Rahab, the prostitute, as they seek out weaknesses in preparation for the conquest. But that is not the task of the twelve. It was not the task of the twelve. They are not there to spy out the problems. 
They are to first examine the, examine the potential, the possibilities, the abundance the land has to offer. God commands Moses to appoint a team to spy out the good, to examine the resources of this land. They are to give a general report on what cities are available to be taken, what land is available, how fertile, and what people inhabit it, since they will be dividing up the land between the 12 tribes. It is important that representatives from all the tribes be on, in on this initial tour of the land. God wanted these leaders to come back and ignite the hearts of the 12 tribes with delight as they reported the riches and the magnificence of the promised land. God wanted to use these leaders to encourage the people to take possession of the promised land. And so Caleb and the 11 of his peers are sent to assess the potential of Canaan. They go north along the ridge of the mountains that provide the backbone of the country, through Hebron in the south all the way to Rehob at the north end of the land. Perhaps they are posting as traders, posing as traders. We don't know. But along the way, they observe carefully what they see, the nature of the cities and villages, and the produce, what each land, what does the land produce and what its potential is. And the land does have great potential. When the spies return, they carry a huge cluster of grapes. And it was so big, it took two men to carry it between a pole. Could you imagine a giant cluster, three or four feet big, being carried by two men um, of grapes? And that was the fruit of the land on a pole. In a desert, they may have never seen what grapes were, not even in their wildest imagination. So let's read what they said. Look at Numbers 13, verses 27 and 29. Then they told him and said, We went to the land, to the land where you sent us. It truly flows, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Wait a second. What was their mission? Their mission was to seek out what the land was like, if it was habitable, could they live on it, could it produce. But what did they come back with? There are descendants of Anak. The Malachites live in Negev, and the Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites live there. They forgot their mission. Their mission was to report on the possibilities, the potential, not the problems. Their report is like the one of those good news, bad news jokes. The good news is the land does flow with milk and honey. The bad news is Mike Tyson already lives there. The giants, the Anak, were all over. The Amalekites own Negev. The hill country is occupied by three separate peoples. And the Canaanites control the region. It's an impossible mission, according to the 12 spies. Their report started out great, but then they lost their focus. When it comes to the matters of faith, too often we shift our focus and lose sight of God. Amen? Remember when Peter tried walking on the water? Very familiar story. At first, when he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was fine, showing off and smiling. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. When Peter shifted his focus from Jesus to the wind, fear melted his heart, and he sank. 
They took, he, he took his eyes off of Jesus. It was also with the ten spies. They took their eyes off of Jesus. They took their eyes off of God and fixed their eyes on the giants and caused fear among all of the Israelites. Once when Martin Luther was feeling depressed, his wife asked if he'd heard God had died. Luther replied angrily that she was blaspheming. She retorted that if God had indeed not died, what right had he to be without hope? But this is the same thing that happened with the Israelites. As the ten spies continue to report, their fear increases and their faith decreases. You can almost see their faith shrinking as they speak in verse 31 to 33. We can attack these people. They are stronger than we are. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. Now they think the land will devour them. And then they conduct concluded in the first part of verse 33, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own lives, eyes, and we looked the same to them. Grasshoppers? God's chosen people see themselves as grasshoppers? When things look tough, it's not faith that prevails, but fear. They become, become pessimists, pointing out the problems instead of having faith and looking at the possibilities and the potential. Those with faith challenge and motivate and point to the possibilities. But those who have no faith criticize and focus only on the problem. When it comes to Christian life, giants and grasshoppers are not determined by genes but they're determined by faith. When it came time to enter and conquer their neighborhood, they stopped in fear. When it came time to live their faith, they fled. Faith that cannot confront the giants is not faith. Ten of the twelve spies became grasshoppers and thus useless in the midst of God's people. In fact, they became worse than useless. And why was that? In the Bible, grasshoppers are associated with destruction. Grasshoppers and locusts are the same thing. Locusts or grasshoppers destroy the crops that the farmer has worked so hard to grow. The bad report given by these ten ravaged the faith of the entire nation of Israel in the same way that locusts ravage crops. Moses worked so hard to cultivate the faith of this nation like a farmer works his land. Now, one bad report from grasshoppers, would destroy an entire generation. Let's evaluate ourselves. Ask yourself these questions. Are you more likely to point out the possibilities or the problems? Are you more likely to get excited or discouraged? Are you more likely to motivate others or discourage? Are you more likely to challenge or criticize? Are you more likely to be hopeful than pessimistic? Possibilities or problems? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There's a time to examine problems, to determine the obstacles. As a matter of fact, as already mentioned, Joshua later sent spies to the land to spy out the weaknesses. But the first step is one of faith, one of faith in God's provision. Our actions are not to be determined by problems, but by faith that God will provide. Go back and read Numbers 3, 2. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. God promised the land to them. God would provide the land. He would give it to them. Your first question is not what are the problems, but what has God promised? 
What has God provided? You want to evaluate your faith. Examine your focus. Are you a grasshopper? Or does your faith in God's provision and promises make the giants in your life and this church grasshoppers? I'm not saying that when there are problems that we don't discuss them. Obviously, we do. When it does come time to deal with problems, it's not to determine whether we are going to do something or not, to strategize on how we are going to do it. In other words, if you see a problem, bring the problem, but maybe you can offer a solution. Amen? I've never been in a church that doesn't have its problems. Obviously, we've all seen that. I've never met a person who doesn't have his or her problems, and that's myself included. But we need to be careful how we handle the problems. We need to handle them with faith. For the Israelites, I would say that the giants in the land are a legitimate concern. But their focus became a magnification of the problem instead of searching for the solution. Those ten should have pulled Moses off to the side and said, Look, we have to talk. But instead, their unbelief and bad report devastated. You notice that I think the number of families... Um, when I came up to speak. And one reason why is we praise in public, but we criticize in private. If there are issues, that it should be addressed one-on-one, not, not, from, not in a public place. So criticize in private, praise in public. And I praise God for um, my family and all of you. Okay. One thing I want you to do is if you have a piece of paper, um, you can write this down. Um, this is just a real quick little lesson study. If you have worries, what I'd like you to do is start a worry list. You write all your worries, no matter what it is. If you're here, you know, your problems, if you have problems here, if you have problems in the, at home, you have problems with faith, the next thing that you want to do with your, with your worry list is you want to turn it into a prayer list. So take the worry list, write it down, and make it a prayer list. And pray specifically for the needs and, depend- and dependence. Okay, so now the third thing is to take control of those things on your worry list that you can work with and leave the rest to God. Allow him and pray over that worry list. Okay? Well, let's get back to the uh, verse 14. So let's continue with the test. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Why? Because the ten spies had come back. They, instead of looking at the promises of the land, they were talking about the giants in the promised land and how we can't conquer them. We're little people. Number two, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said, If we had only died in Egypt or in the desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The pessimism of the ten men, their lack of faith, was devastating. Imagine the scene. We read in Numbers 146 that a census taken at Sinai several weeks earlier that recorded that the number of men over 20 years of age able to fight was 603,550. That's a large, large army. Add the women and those 
under 20 years of age, and you're looking at close to 2 million people. By nightfall, their report had spread throughout the camps. Now, it was almost like a cancer, wasn't it? As the word spread, it got worse and worse. And I I imagine by the first 100,000 people, that whole, um, the whole story had been amplified. You know how it is, right? You tell one story, and then that person tells, and then when it gets back to you, the story is totally different from what it originally was. So here are two million people um, thinking that, they will, that the, they've come this far, but it's the end of life for them. And that's not what was so, was it? If it comes a point in your life when you lack faith, as you focus on problems instead of the provider... If you're having that grasshopper mentality, you might best keep it to yourself and among leaderships until you're willing to focus on God's provisions and God's promises. You may do inestimable damage to the people of God because you've lost your faith. As a result of your grasshopper mentality, you may doom the rest. It's almost like a cancer, isn't it? Let's move on to test two. Faith relies on God's abilities. Not only does faith focus on the possibilities instead of the problems, But faith focuses on God's abilities and not your own. Ten of the spies measured the giants against themselves. We can't do that, they said. They are stronger than we are. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. But in the midst of this fear and unbelief pessimism, two men stood firm and with hope, Caleb and Joshua. When the ten spies were sharing their tale of terror, the scripture reports Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb measured the giants, not against themselves, but against God. And God is greater than anything on this earth. Amen? To a great God, those giants are very puny. The next day, Caleb and Joshua tried to sway the gathered Israelite crowd with their faith. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good, they say. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Notice the positive attitude of that verse. Look at the hope, the faith. Caleb at this point was a man in his prime, aged 45. And he said, yes, we can do this. Let's go. The Lord is on our side. Let's let's get going. Notice the explicit mention of the Lord in these words. The ten spies don't even mention the Lord. Only what they have seen that terrifies them. Joshua and Caleb have seen the same giants and the same heavily fortified cities, but they are not comparing themselves to the task, but God. They see the Lord enabling them to conquer these people. There are walls and giants we must overcome, but there are milk and honey too. If we measure ourselves to the task, we will always fall short. If we measure God to the task, we will never be disappointed. Faith focuses on God's abilities, not our own. Ask yourself these questions. When I'm asked God to serve, when I'm asked to serve God in a task, do I compare myself to the task before accepting it, or do I compare God to the task? 
when you are asked to serve on the church board or Sabbath school, um, audio video, deacons, youth ministry, and a multitude of others, do you make your decision by looking at your own abilities or God's abilities? You have to have that can-do attitude because we have God on our side. Them, the people out there, they don't have it. They're afraid. They have no faith. But we have God, so we walk with confidence. Amen? Test three. Faith asks for the mountain. Look what God says about Caleb in Numbers 14, 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. We see a similar quotation in Deuteronomy, where Moses recounts for the children of these rebels what God has said, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he has set free, feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly, or wholly, or fully. What a testimony. So often we follow the Lord when it suits us, when it fits just right for us. But don't, don't go out of my bounds. I don't want to be, don't ask me to do that. But when things get tough, we must lean on faith rather than sight. Fear sets in and we follow our fears instead of our faith. That's what I like about Caleb. He looks at life as what Robert Schuller terms a possibility thinker, one who sees himself walking in the future, not alone, but leaning on the strong arm of his God. Let's jump to Joshua 14, 6, 15. This is scene two of Caleb's life. It's now 40 years later, isn't it? They've been forced to wander for 40 years in the desert because of a lack of faith. Yet there was no hint that Caleb was discouraged. Instead, he seems ambitious after 40 years. I think it would only take me 30 minutes to become discouraged if I didn't know. Well, maybe 45. But 40 years, 40 years is a long time. Instead, and after that 40 years, I could imagine him waking up every morning saying, Lord, do the best for me. I want to do whatever you give me. When we wake up in the morning, that's the same exact words that we should say. Lord, bring it on. Give it to me. Give, seek, guide me so that, I, so that I will be strong and fit for your service. One of the things, uh, one of the things that uh, in my ministries is I'm always running. People say, you're so busy. You're so busy. And I, say, and I think it was Joshua that commented the other night. That my, my Joshua. Um, he goes, um, you're, you just have endless energy. I think we were in the kitchen. I think my wife was, we were just sitting around. He says, you just have an endless amount of energy. And, I, and, I, and I've heard other people say that. Where do you get it? I said, it's not me. This is not me. This is God working through me. He, I wake up in the morning, I say, give me energy, Lord. Sometimes it's so difficult to take that next step. It's so difficult. that You know, when we go out, we have a youth ministry. Friday nights, I'm coming home from work. And I just ask, Lord, give me the strength. You know, I think of Lillian over here. She's how many years in the, the cradle roll? Forty. Oh, wonderful. Forty years in there, Lillian? I think she said 40 years. Could you imagine? She was invited into the Sabbath school class, and I think she told it like, to me like this. Um, I, I went in, and the Sabbath school teacher said, here's the material, I'll see you later. And she said, I never left. 
So praise God for Lillian. She's a, she's a wonderful inspiration to me. But she's been there almost 40 years. I guess 30, 40 years. It's amazing. But, but when you go and introduce yourself to her, she's got that great smile. And I could just imagine Caleb waking up in the morning after 40 years, and he's still got that smile. He still has that energy. Praise the Lord. What do you want me to do today? He could have sulked. He could have been angry, right? After 40 years, that's a long time. You know, that's, that's a very long time. And he could have said things like, you got yourselves into this mess? Now you guys get yourselves out of it. Or I'm so tired of the crying and the moaning. You know, I'm just going to go off on my own. But Caleb didn't. He knew that the Lord was strong. He knew that the Lord was bigger than any problem that he had. And he remained active in the service of the Lord. And the Lord had remained faithful to Caleb. And Caleb had remained faithful to the Lord. Caleb's attitude was not one of despair, nor was it one of frustration or anger. He was an attitude of ambition for God. What an inspiration, amen? And I think about other members of our church, and Margaret Silva and June Blackie, who have spent years and years here, and they still have that positive attitude. And that's what I want. I want and I hope that's what you want for yourself. Um, even when you're in, inside the, we're here, the Sabbath day is easy. But going out there, it's tough, isn't it? Because you, get, you, hear, you hear things and you see things. And unfortunately, I hear a lot of that. Um, because some of the machines are named after, um, we have a machine that's uh, named after Satan. And we have another machine named after Babylon. These are computers now. It's, it's just a machine, I know. But, you know, in the world out there, we have to stay focused because the Lord is strong in me, and I hope the Lord is strong in you. And I can, I can pass, bypass all of that. Um, yeah, it's really uh, unfortunate that they have to name machines after that, that type of, um, yeah, it's really bad. Well, let's, go, let's move on. Let's not talk about that. Each of us gets disappointed in other people from time to time. They don't live up to our expectations. Joseph was, sold into, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, but he didn't give up. Paul, writing with a sad heart, told how one of his friends had forsaken him to follow the world. However, Paul didn't cease preaching the gospel because Demas did. The land is to be divided among the 12 tribes. But before the land west of the Jordan is distributed by Lot, Caleb stakes his own claim. This is really... Cool. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Joshua blesses Caleb and gives him Hebron as, in, as his inheritance. Apparently, the grant involved the whole hill country surrounding Hebron. Interestingly, when the lot was cast for Caleb's tribe Judah, the tribal land assigned to the, to, by lot providentially included the portion already given to Caleb. But let's, let's look closer at his request. Caleb's faith is showing in verse 10 through 12. From one perspective, he might seem to be bragging, but look closer. One, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years, so here I am today, 85 years old! Exclamation point. He's excited. I am still as strong today, as the day Moses sent me out, I am just as vigorous to go out to battle 
now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that this day. You yourself heard then that the Analekites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Notice that the three out of the four statements in this section, he mentions the name of Yahweh. The Lord promised, the Lord promised, the Lord helping me. Here is a man who has learned to trust in the promises of God and stake his whole future on them. He knows what it's like to have the Lord help him, and he is trusting that the Lord will continue to do so. When Israel finally came into the promised land, Caleb, as a reward reward for his faith, was allowed to pick out any section of land for himself and his family forever. He asked for Hebron. Why Hebron? Of all Palestine that could have been his for the asking, why did he pick Hebron? I think he wanted Hebron because there were the Analekite giants that had so terrified his uh, fellow scouts 40 years ago. It was the most hilly part in the area, infested by giants. Israel's enemies were strongest here, the most difficult part of the whole promised land to subdue. But Caleb, at age 85, said, Give me that. You say there's a problem? Let God use me to handle it. We looked like grasshoppers in their eyes, they whimpered. Bring them on, said Caleb. There's no match for the Lord. Forty-five years before, he had consulted. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. The giants represent the enemies of conquest, and Caleb is ready for them. He didn't ask for the easy job, did he? This man of faith knew that with God, nothing is impossible if it is done out of faith. There's a saying that a person of vision and faith does the most difficult thing now and leaves the impossible until later. That was Caleb. Caleb refused to be discouraged, but looked upon the most difficult task to be used in what God had promised to do. So I ask, so ask yourself, am I content to do the minimum in my service with God? to God? Am I content to sit back and watch others work? Am I looking for an easy way out in my Christian service? I hope you're not. I hope that's not your attitude. Sometimes it's hard in, in a church for the services. We have car washes. There's so many ministries. We can praise God that there are so many ministries in our church. We have Sabbath schools in the back for the young people. We have pathfinders. We have youth ministries by uh, Pastor Josh. And so we have all of these wonderful things. Always don't don't be afraid to get involved. Um, one thing is, uh, I step in with the one foot, and then I go, okay. If somebody asks me, you usually will hear me say, okay, I'll do it. Because I'm not afraid. Lord, The Lord is on my side. And he's blessed me more abundantly than you could imagine. Praise God. So in conclusion, Caleb's faith was mustard seed faith to move mountains. When it came time to be a leader, he said, give me the mountain. In the upcoming months, your faith will be tested also. It will be tested with people asking you to do things, uh, and it might scare you. It might scare you to come up here and speak. Uh, this, this is really hard sometimes, but like I said earlier in my sermon, you're all my family. We've, we've celebrated Sabbaths together. We've celebrated, celebrated ministries. We've washed cars together. We've baked together. We've cleaned up our school in the back together. We've painted our church together. 
So your family. So I'm not afraid to come up here and speak because you all know me. And if I stutter a little bit or I get lost, you understand. And Jesus loves you and so do I. In the upcoming, so do that. So just try testing, testing your faith. Don't be afraid to volunteer for certain things. So in those times, when the times come for those challenges, remember the three tests of your faith. Will you focus on the problems or the possibilities? Will you focus on your abilities or God's abilities? Will you ask for the mountain or flee in fear? There will be giants. There will be big giants in your life, whether it's job situation, personal, health. But how desperately we need more Caleb's with faith to lead our church to claim the lost for God. So when you're a call to act and to serve, will you be a grasshopper? Or Caleb. In Caleb's eulogy, found in Joshua 14.14, it said, He faithfully obeyed the Lord. He wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Whereas the Jerusalem Bible translate it, He scrupulously obeyed the Lord. That's a hard word. I wonder if they'll say that about you and me, that we've done everything that we can. When we're tired, ask the Lord for the strength. When you're weak and you're wanting, ask the Lord for strength, and he will give it to you. Grasshopper or Caleb, the choice is yours. Join us again next time for the word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.